Hello, welcome. This is the Best Health Podcast. Here, I speak to leaders in the Bermuda health and wellness space about the options available to support your peak health and performance. I'm Akila Beckles, your host and consulting producer. In my day-to-day life, I'm a wellness professional who instructs in the disciplines of yoga and Pilates. I also produce wellness-oriented events in beautiful spaces around Bermuda. Today on Best Health, we're talking about feet. Our subject matter expert and guest is Natalie Bennett of Arches Podiatry. This episode is presented by Lindos. Why go anyplace else? Feet, highly specialized structures, the foundation of much of our movement, our connection to the earth. But what about when feet develop a problem in their intricate network of bones, joints, ligaments, muscles, blood vessels, and nerves. Here to speak with me today about the specialized care and therapy for your feet, ankles, and legs is podiatrist Natalie Bennett. Natalie has been a podiatrist for nearly 30 years. She graduated in 1994 with a podiatry degree following her residency at Gosford Hospital in Sydney, Australia. In 1997, Natalie set out on her own. She set set up a private practice in podiatry in Sydney. In the early 2000s, Natalie completed a master's degree in health management and health policy. During this time, she was also the area director of podiatry services for the central and southwestern Sydney regions. This included five hospitals and four community health centers. In 2010, Natalie relocated to Bermuda to work for a podiatry practice. It was there that she developed a strong reputation as a dedicated podiatrist providing foot care services along with committing to the long-term care of individuals who suffer with diabetic foot conditions. Natalie has also been an active board member for both the Bermuda Diabetes Association Board and the Bermuda Podiatry Board. Natalie also happens to be the co-owner of the shoe retailer that you may have heard or seen on Church Street, Island Soul. Welcome to Best Health, Natalie. Thank you for having me, Akela. I'm excited to talk about feet. Um, I think because in my own work, it's such a central aspect of any form of movement and a good foundation. But I actually don't know much about what is happening in that foundation. So I'm excited to talk to you who knows so much. Great. But before we talk about your work, I wanted to talk to you as a person and find out whether or not there's anything that you do on a daily basis to kind of support your mind or your body. Well, interestingly, I do um, like to have some sort of daily practice that involves movement. And yoga and Pilates are probably my two movement-based therapies of choice. Um, I did actually complete my yoga teacher training just before the pandemic happened. and uh, What awesome timing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and uh, just after the first couple of lockdowns, I had a really bad back injury, uh. which took me away from my daily movement practice. And that's when I really realised that saying that um, you do yoga or those movement things to get better at life and without them, life is a struggle. So I went through all of that and and I'm definitely just getting back to a much more regular daily practice. It took that long really to recover and get back to back on my feet. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's important that you acknowledge that, like how there are times of breaks from something that can otherwise be serving you in a great deal every day. Like there's reasons that 
take us away from a supportive thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess the process of going through that journey of starting again might seem too much, but you get to experience all that yeah. really cool starting out um, experiences of early yoga and having less flexibility and having less strength. So you get to take that journey a second time. Yeah, and build up. And like when circumstances might be completely different from when you either started or the mm-hmm. last time that you were in a spate of practicing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. A, a way to know yourself and where you are at that time. And your body changes, your mind changes, your you know your your life situation changes so much, and to be able to just be present in it, and then reflect back, what was I doing five years ago when yeah. I was doing this? It, it is a very different journey, and I welcome it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I remember seeing you years ago in uh, yoga classes, and then met you, I think, through mutual friends. But it's nice to actually sit down and talk to you now, and then maybe one day we can actually practice That'll together. It'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> so you're here to tell the world, the listening public, a little bit more about feet than they probably already knew, other than maybe your colleagues that are podiatrists or other uh, connected professionals. Mm. And I have to say that before I began my Pilates journey, I knew very little about feet. And I remember starting on the apparatus, on the reformer. And in the classical system, the first thing that you do is footwork. And I remember thinking to myself, why are we exercising our feet? (laughs) (laughs) Who cares about how our feet look? (laughs) Get me to my core. Get my core. Get my my butt muscles tight. Exactly. And I was just like, why does the classical Pilates system, like the original method that Joseph Pilates created, why are they so worried about feet? And then I felt it. Everything right. changed. <laughs> once my feet were strong yes. and once I had more access, everything changed. Everything felt different. Yeah. Um, but tell me what first connected you to learning about feet. Or is that about even simplifying feet? your work to say that Not at podiatry all. is about feet? Uh, it's it's feet focused, but it definitely, again, it's a, it's a movement-based therapy. So we're looking at human gait, the way mm-hmm. people get through their everyday life, whether they're standing, walking, their activities, running, whatever we're doing in, in movement on our feet and what pain and problems are limiting you. So yes, we're focusing on the foot, but we do treat a lot of lower limb, knee, lower back, hip injuries. So we do kind of focus on... Uh, everything from the waist down during the gait cycle and during your activities, but uh, with a specific focus on the feet, yeah. obviously. So is it is was Joseph Pilates right to believe that everything originated in your feet as far as movement is concerned? I guess as a as a two footed animal, absolutely, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that was his taking it down to the bare (laughs) basics of it. You know, everything we. Your mobility is everything, yeah. and you only have to ask somebody who's lost their mobility for through um, injury or amputation or or yeah. whatever. And and once you don't have that freedom of movement, um, how limiting it is, how frustrating it is, how it it doesn't give you access to so many parts of life. So keeping that mobility is absolutely key. And most of the muscles and ligaments of the lower limb start in the foot and travel up to somewhere around the knee. So it's it's a big supporting part of our structure. Yeah. What made you study podiatry? podiatry? How did you get into it? It was one of those weird things. So I was always interested in the health sciences um, back before uh, we had so much more access to 
in- information, you kind of had to go on what was available at your local university or, you know, it was a little bit uh, more limiting with choice. So you would get into a university and look around at the programs they had on offer. And no offence to dentists or optometrists, but both of those I explored and they didn't appeal to me. Um, and then I heard about podiatry and I really had no idea what it was. And I started to investigate it. I was leaning towards physiotherapy. And I thought I knew I kind of wanted to do something like that. And then once I found out the world of podiatry and how cool it is, um, I was sold. What did it take? Because I have to say, I didn't really learn about podiatry until I met a podiatrist when I was living in London. Like yeah. someone on my netball team was a podiatrist. All right. But before that, I had no clue about the profession. So what were your sources? Like how did you get this info? Again, it was at the university. So nice. it was through meeting other students, other teachers, um, people in the health science departments. And I guess, to be fair, I signed up to podiatry and enrolled and turned up on the first day, still not 100% sure what it was. You know, it sounded cool on paper, but until I got into the clinical practice of it, it, I was like, wow, we do that too? You know, like it, it, it kind of opened up to me as we went along. That's amazing. So <laughs> what would you say... Um, are the main complaints that a podiatrist is dealing with? I assume geographically there would be differences with mm-hmm. lifestyle and things like that. But are th- is there anything in common around the world that most podiatrists are dealing with the most? I would have to say um, it is definitely geographical and it's also seasonal too. Mm. So um, we go through all of summer with our feet out, with our flip-flops on and our sandals and <laughs> And towards the end of summer, that lack of support, lack of cushioning, walking barefoot in our houses, that's when we start to see a lot of people with heel pain or plantar fasciitis. And I'll always say to my patients, if I've seen 10 new patients today, eight of them had plantar fasciitis or heel pain. So that's something that we treat um, very frequently, Bermuda being very heavily um, involved in the service industry. So many of us are on our feet all day, every yeah. day. Nurses, chefs, waiters, you know, hairdressers, people that are standing on their feet for long periods of time will eventually get some kind of foot pain, mm. you know, related to that, some sort of fatigue-related foot pain. So that's very common. And then as the weather cools down and we start to put our closed-in shoes on, that's when the toenail problems rear their head. Ew. So it's... Um, it's very much seasonal here in Bermuda. Got it. Yeah. What um, what sorts of complaints do people have? Say, do, is it like a visual thing that they know that something's wrong or is it usually pain? Pain would be the number one motivator to contact um, a podiatrist. Visually, that will be something like, yeah, I've seen this bump come up on my foot. Is it normal? Sometimes people come in with... I don't know if you're the right person to ask. And I'm like, well, I hope I would. It's on your foot. (laughs) (laughs) So we have people come in quite often not even knowing what they want to ask, but they're like, I just want someone to look at this and tell me, is it normal? Um, You know, bunions, things like that. So, So, I mean, what what is a bunion? Tell... A bunion is kind of a... It's a term that relates to... It can either be involving the big toe or the little toe. And oh, it's only the outside. So I didn't even it's know an that. outside so thing. <laughs> I just and knew it was a thing. <laughs> it's a it's an outside of the foot thing. Oh. Both edges, and uh, I guess bunions is kind of a it's a it's a term that covers a movement of the joint into a position that isn't optimal oh, for function. So it's not a growth. 
a lot of people think it is. Yeah. You d- the joint does become enlarged, but generally it's a movement it's of the internal. joint. It's a joint oh. movement that isn't optimal. And then all of our walking and weight-bearing forces exacerbate it. Okay, that makes sense. I used to wonder why people would... The type of complaints you would hear from people with bunions, to me, I didn't get why a growth would cause that. Right. Because it's not a growth. It's not a growth. The actual bones have shifted. Yeah. Oh, okay. And because the big toe is our main driver of propulsion, so yeah. as we propel off one foot onto the next, that big toe has to function yeah. efficiently. And if it doesn't, we get all kinds of pain in the foot, in the oh. knee. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. Okay, all so much makes sense. Yeah. I used to wonder, like, I don't, I don't understand. So... As far as the aesthetics, mm-hmm. is it true that you can go to a podiatrist and get a pedicure and your insurance covers it? If you ask like that, the podiatrist might be upset. So <laughs> it's a general treatment. <laughs> it's a general treatment. Um, but for all purposes, it is kind of uh, along those lines. Okay. We will deal with toenails, calluses, corns, make the feet. Nice, fresh, clean, look beautiful. Um, I kind of liken it to when you go to your hygienist. Uh, you know, okay. you go to your hygienist, you come out, everything's sparkly. Fresh. But they've highlighted some if there's issues and uh. they've checked things out along the way and if so, need so be. So this would be like a otherwise healthy person yeah. could consult with you for a general Absolutely. Service. I have a lot of patients that do that. They'll come in. Um, especially ladies that uh, in between having nail polish, which can cause problems. So they'll come in and we'll do a general treatment, keep the, keep the toenails nice and clean and um, healthy, especially for wearing nail polish all year, which can, it can cause problems for us. Can we speak about these problems? We can. Because I, I wear nail polish all <laughs> of the year. <laughs> so I'm wondering what am I in danger of? So because of our humid climate, um, Wearing nail polish constantly can cause moisture to build up, excessive moisture to build up around the nail, oh. underneath the polish. And you can one day just take your polish off and you think, oh, my nail looks a little discoloured or it's got little white clouds on it. If you paint over that, you're just trapping a fungal infection underneath nail polish. So it's a really good idea to buff that out or visit a podiatrist and we can resurface the nail, get rid of that discoloration. Because if you just keep painting over it and keep leaving nail polish on, one day you'll take it off and you'll be like, what has happened? And it's all kinds of colours. So people paint over? Like, I feel like yeah. I, when you said that, I was like, okay, cool, I'm fine because I've never noticed cloudiness on right. my nails. But you're telling me, I guess some people just don't see it or they're getting their nails done? Or how do you miss cloudiness on your <laughs> nails? <laughs> uh, I, I think a lot of times, and I've questioned my patients, uh, if you're sitting there at the nail salon and you're flicking through your phone or reading oh. through messages and you don't look and I guess the girl doing the toenails may not bring it up. She may may think you've already seen it or for whatever reason yeah. your attention isn't drawn to it at the time. The fresh coat of polish goes on and we we don't know until the next time. Well, good to know. So yes, always look there, up from your phone. Yeah, look up from your phone <laughs> if you're going to get a pedicure yeah. at a salon. And ask the pedicurist, you know. Should I see a podiatrist? And a lot of the times they will. They'll say, yeah, go see a podiatrist oh. and get, you know, we're all kind of working together. But if if it's just a process and you're you're occupied and she's just getting things yeah. done, it might not have attention drawn to it. Wow. What's the strangest thing that someone's consulted you for? Well, when I say strangest, I, m- I mean most uncommon. Most uncommon. Oh, I have to think about that. Oh, we get all kinds of... 
I, we do get lots of glass in the feet around cup match. So oh, um, foreign objects in the foot. Oh. We found, I found some pretty strange things embedded in people's feet. I won't go into too yeah, much detail. Yeah, heebie-jeebies thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, we get to do some really cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, just thinking back to, I think the worst <laughs> that's happened for me is like in childhood, yeah, swimming, random areas, right, and stepping yeah. on rocks and uh, those jagged cuts. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so I can see, yeah, the summertime, that's when you're going to be seeing a lot of that yeah. based on how we're outdoors and in the water. And I have seen... F- like a chillblain in Bermuda, which is pretty rare in a warm climate, but I have had a patient who was getting like a frostbite type situation. What was it's their mostly lifestyle? from lack of circulation, but they had been away, they had poor circulation. They oh, came back during some cold climate and it didn't heal. So it was it was pretty That's yeah, out that's there. super unusual. Yeah. That's <laughs> another thing that like until I felt what what happens sometimes in extreme temperatures are you mm. wondering, what is frostbite? Um but that's yeah. wild that yeah. the person came back to Bermuda and still was yeah. not okay. <laughs> still hadn't healed properly yeah. because their circulation wasn't good. And what so. do you do for something like that? So did a full vascular assessment, checked okay. the circulation, worked out where which which vessels were working efficiently, which ones weren't, and then refer to we have a wound care team at the hospital oh. and we send patients directly to wound care who can assist with lots of other therapies to accelerate to accelerate wound healing, yeah. Oh. What in in general uh, is it common like set like injuries or complaints have set say pathways for treatment or is every individual case different? Very much, uh. yeah. Um, when it comes to treatment pathways, in an ideal world, that'd be great if we had that Just for like things. A, a menu to follow, right? Yeah, it'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but all practitioners work differently, you know. We all have different backgrounds, different training, different specialties. So um, my my treatment pathways would va- vary differently to another podiatrist because that's my experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and my referral, the people I refer to and I get my referrals from, those are my pathways that yeah. have developed over my career. So it's very individualised. That's why, you know, we, we find practitioners we're comfortable with. We talk to them and ask them about how they're going to treat it, how they're going to treat our condition. And that's where people need to engage more in dialogue with their practitioners and understand the treatment. Yeah. You know, there's, there's never just one one treatment fits everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people's experience with, say, a conventional general practitioner like a clinician like a doctor yeah is kind of do as i say so mm. it sounds like podiatry is more the like that allows a patient to be part of the process of like understanding and choosing what they might want to go through with is that accurate or um i i guess that's kind of how i like to work um i feel that that old oh, doctor's orders kind of thing yeah. is becoming less and less of a thing now that we all go to Dr. Google first. <laughs> like we all we all consult Dr. Google first and then we decide, oh, I've got that. So um, people have a lot more awareness and we're bombarded with health information now on social media on, in so many ways and people already come in now with an opinion of what they have and how they want to treat it, which I love because the patient's instinct is quite often good. You know, they're they're living with their foot. (laughs) They know it from the minute they wake up. So really listening to them, you get a much better idea of what do they think is going on and then we're just there to direct, you know. Yeah. 
speaking of different like trainings and things like that mm. so are dietrist doctors we're not a doctor there are there is a qualification in the united states the podiatrist that graduates in the united states is called a dpm or a doctor of podiatric medicine they go on to become foot surgeons and that's isolated to the u.s Elsewhere in the world, the UK, Australia, uh, South Africa, there's uh, podiatry qualifications all over, but that p- the opportunity to do surgery is a postgraduate choice that people make. It's not part of the undergraduate program. So you can graduate as a podiatrist and never do, never do surgery, or you can go on to do it in those countries. Okay. Well... Um, what sorts of people in Bermuda, what sorts of, I shouldn't say people, what sorts of professional people in yeah. Bermuda would be the ones carrying out foot surgeries? So that would be our orthopedic surgeons, orthopedic surgeons and our general surgeons. So whether it's soft tissue related, it would be one of the general surgeons. If it's something like bunion surgery or, or you know, orthopedic. major, ortho- yeah, yeah. Would they um, say if it's something, would they ever refer an individual to the United States to go to a foot surgeon for, like, say, I don't know, something strange that's connected to bone and foot? Um, I have done that in the past, and not for any reason to bypass our orthopedic surgeons here. They're great. But sometimes patients will say to me, you know, um, do you know of anyone in off-island? Because sometimes our waiting times here, especially since the pandemic, our waiting times here uh, um, can make it less accessible so people will be looking for options. Oh, uh, it's not necessarily <coughs> that, like, say, there's someone well-known in the medical community because of, like, how they treat this type of bunion on a Absolutely, that happens. No, and I will happen. have, yeah, and I will have patients ask me about that. And then I'll direct them to, there's a lot of online resources. And there are foot surgeons or podiatric surgeons that will just, podiatric surgeons, that will specialise in this type of very up-to-date procedures for, say, a bunion or for for an ankle joint fusion or, or something very specific. Our doctors here will do a good job, but they might do... A smaller number of them and I'll have patients saying I want to go to someone that just does this yeah. sure there's people like that and we, ha- if we have the choice you know we can find those people and refer mm. it's good to know mm. <laughs> it's all available yeah. and within reach uh, how are chiropodists did I say it right? chiropodists chiropodists <laughs> <laughs> how are chiropodists different from a podiatrist because when I was first researching you I saw like the list of registered podiatrists and then there mm-hmm. was a list of chiropodists right or it was a one person list maybe i can't remember yeah. but it was a separate list right and i was like i don't know what this is but it was on the same sheet of paper so i thought maybe there was yeah. a connection um i would say podiatrist is kind of the evolution of the chiropodist so uh, chiropodist was the original qualification um oh. and it was it, it originated back when foot care was more of a, a just a hands-on cleaning up the feet, doing corns, calluses, and it evolved to take over diabetic foot care. And then, I guess, uh, as they decided to make it a little bit more um, biomechanics, sports podiatry, and all those aspects of it, they decided it needed a new name and a new sociopathy was a more simplistic view of looking after foot issues and then it evolved to become podiatry, which we do a little bit of nail surgery now. We'll remove toenails, do ingrown toenails in a surgical um, sense. We do 
all like I said before, all kinds of sports related injuries of the hip, the lower yeah. limb, the knee. So that's kind of the evolution that oh, podiatry yeah. has become. Yeah. But yet we're still termed as chiropodist slash podiatrist, just so that we don't exclude the people that one came up through came up through that. Yeah. Oh. Good to know this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and thank you for correcting my pronunciation. <laughs> my pleasure. At no point did I think that I needed to go and like hear the pronunciation of that. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned uh, dealing with diabetics. Mm-hmm. So I know from other stuff that I've done that 25% of Bermuda's population is diabetic. What does that mean for you and your work? Like that prevalence, what does that mean for podiatrists here? So I remember that 25% number when I was part of the um, Diabetes Association when I was on the board and we were doing some research into what the numbers were here. Um, And that 25%, we termed it, some of them, are are we call them the unaware unwell. They don't know yet. So you you think the number might be higher? Well, we know that probably the numbers of diagnosed or people that know they're diabetic would be a little under that. So we're saying that there are a group of people that we would lump in that are diabetic, they just don't know it yet. And that's the uh, that's what we would total all of that to be about 25%. Oh, okay. Which is still, that's a lot. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a quarter of our population. Yeah, yeah. So what percentage of those people would you say are needing to see a podiatrist? Like what is the connection... So uh, somebody that's been diagnosed with diabetes should see a podiatrist once a year, at least, absolutely, for an annual foot exam. During that annual foot diabetic foot screen, we check the nerve supply to the feet, the circulation to the feet. We make sure you're making good footwear choices, you're looking after your feet in an appropriate way. Is this because of how diabetes affects circulation that you're checking into the feet specifically? So diabetes itself has... A, a little bit of an impact on your circulation but it's the other lifestyle factors not many people just have diabetes in isolation so oh. they'll have high blood pressure they might have high cholesterol they may be a smoker they may have other lifestyle okay. factors that will impair the circulation to their feet if they have one of those and diabetes together they absolutely need to have their circulation checked on a regular basis so my patients will come in we'll do a, a diabetic foot screen we'll check the circulation check the nerve supply check footwear and then we'll classify them I- into one of the risk categories diabetics have a, a group of risk yeah. categories and if it's a once a year annual exam we'll just say come back once a year send the report to their doctor if they start to get some complications, if they have some issues like ingrown toenails on top of that, that's now become a risk factor for a diabetic foot. Mm. So we would see them more frequently. But yeah, every diabetic should have a diabetic foot exam at least once. At least once. <laughs> yeah. Well, good to know. Mm-hmm. What is the origin story of the retail store, Island Soul? Because I'm curious, just like as someone that had a previous career and then transitioned into a whole Mm. other practice area, but still uh, providing a service, what was your, um, what kind of informed your desire to move from just providing a service and all into the retail space selling products? Sure. Uh, I guess I'd only been here for a few months in 2010. And one of my colleagues that I worked with at at the first practice I worked at when I was here, we just used to talk all the time about where where do we get specialised shoes, wide fit shoes, where do we... 
And he gave me a couple of local options of stores and I went and checked them out. And yes, they had options, but I'm like, but what about the people that want to be a little fancy, you know? Oh, like the so, design, aesthetics. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you've got people that still want to wear business style footwear. Yeah. They're working in the finance industry. They're working in banking. They're working in... And I think front we, we all can agree that Bermudians <coughs> we worry like about how we look, Absolutely. Right? So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think it's smart to catch on that, to that point. Yeah, <laughs> it was how do we get... And so we used to say, we used to use the term sexy comfort shoes. Oh. And so we started talking about what would that look like if we started a shoe store that gave shoes that people want to wear but yeah. are more comfortable options. So that's the focus. People have always said, is everything in there orthopedic or is everything in there? I would say no because we have high heels, we have wedges, we have we have some nice ladies' uh, dress shoes but we might bring them in different width fittings. Some more know. options. Yeah. That's so good. just And we also try to focus on the larger sizes because a lot of traditional – Shoe packages arrive from the from the wholesaler as a set a case pack, which will go from like a a six to a, a ten. Yeah. You know, so we kind of look to source footwear where we could cherry pick the sizes and get the bigger sizes where need be. Yeah. So now it. that you say it, I I think back to times that I've been in shops in Bermuda and maybe liked a pair of shoes, and it would be like we only have one left, and it's a six and a half. So is it like anecdotally? Do we have big feet? <laughs> <laughs> I would say our average lady's size is around a ten and a half. Which yeah, that's is big. Yeah, compared to like as, as far as what you're saying about the range of sizes that are normally to be found in shoe stores. Yeah, average to be ten and a half. Well, like we do spend a great deal of time barefoot, and that a foot that is kind of unrestrained ah. will grow to its optimum size. So, yeah. um, a foot that is yeah, if we're constrained by so like a European foot that's in a cold climate is always going to have a shoe on, they would be more of a narrow fit, more of a smaller, smaller size in general. Mm. Whereas the closer you get to the equator, the bigger our feet get. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, that's fascinating. Oh, there we go. Super interesting. <laughs> and we have a lot of guys here that are. 13, 14, 15 shoe size. Wow. And they've struggled and I was 13, 14, 15 of men too, so that's huge. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's enormous and we sell a lot of those those sizes. That's, that's great. We make sure we focus on those where we can from yeah, the supplier. And that shop's on Church Street, right? I yes. can picture it. Yes. Yeah, I haven't been in as much now because I kind of wear uh, the same things. But when I was a lawyer, I loved right. the concept of like, because I would be trudging back and forth to court, right? Yes. So I wanted to look smart, yeah, but also be comfortable or a, a degree of comfort, not discomfort. Exactly. And it's, you know, we all need to, especially ladies, we want to feel pretty and we wear certain outfits. Our whole wardrobe is based around our footwear. Because yeah. if you think about where you're going to go to a function, you're like, you kind of plan your shoes first, right? Yeah. Based on how yeah. far am I going to walk? Am I going to be standing all night? Yep. And then you build the outfit from the bottom up. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, you make a good point there. But speaking of shoes, if you're happy to transition to some of our social media <coughs> questions, sure. one of them, actually two of them were connected to shoes, which maybe says a lot about, again, yeah. how we're thinking about ourselves and presenting ourselves. One, no, two, more than two, asked about barefoot shoes, such as Viva Barefoot brand. 
And if I'm thinking correctly, these are the ones that look like little feet, right? Like yeah, they, they have little individual toe feet, like toe, toe shoes. Toe feet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> toe feet, toe shoes in yeah. things. That's what, am I thinking of the right brand? I, yeah, I, I'm what, I um, familiar with so them. So the question was, what do you think of them? <laughs> so what do I think of them? You're in the hot seat. Uh, what do I think of them? So... I think I mean, it's a great concept. We don't. Okay. They're not something that has been available to us through any of our suppliers. Oh, but um, you would interesting. I perhaps um, it, it's a it's a limited market. So here's the thing: people think every shoe, as long as I get in the right size, is for me, and that's not the case. If you have a certain foot type, if you have a certain foot shape, putting it in a five fingered toe shoe may not be the most comfortable option yeah, for you, right? Hurt. I don't know. <laughs> if you had a bunion, for yeah. example, if you had a hammer toe or a toe that was a little curly from a previous accident or from wearing high heels for 20, 30 years, you can't just immediately make your feet stretch out and fit into a five-fingered toe shoe. Also, what is the basis or model for this five-fingered toe shoe? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it feet aren't aren't they so different? I'm, they I'm just are. thinking from my experience looking at feet when I have someone on the reformer, right? Like right, everyone's feet yeah, are different. Yeah, so different. And and it's based on genetics. It's based on occupation, act, um, activities, so many things. But there are some people that would happily put on one of those five fingered toe shoes, be very comfortable, yeah. and love them. There are other people that would put on and be the most uncomfortable thing they've ever experienced, and they it won't be right for them. Feet like humans, we come in all shapes and sizes, and this, you know, there's there's a shoe, there's a, a market for every shoe, but it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be comfortable in that five fingered toe thing shoe. <laughs> yeah, that's a hopeful you know? answer because I think it's asking um, yes or no, and that's not there's no yes or no blanket, right? It's there isn't. <laughs> if, if, you, if, it, if, if it if it's comfortable it and it fits, right. buy it in both colors. Mm. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. The other question connected to shoes well i assume they meant orthotic shoes so the question is how long do you recommend wearing orthotics for fallen arches so i've made a lot of assumptions about that they meant orthotic shoes and that they mean that someone has told them they need to wear orthotics for fallen arches or they've chosen to do that right i assume okay i also assume it's fallen arches flat feet so when we say fallen arch, it makes it sound like it started up here and it went down there (laughs) so Again, we have all different feet. We have flatter feet. We have high arch feet. We have wide feet. It, they're all normal. That normal is a is a big curve. Yeah. But if feet at any point are painful, and the shape or the function of them is what's causing the pain, that's when we might prescribe an orthotics. So. Oh, okay. Um, sometimes so people like to literally have give support so that they're to change the function of the foot. So an orthotic device goes inside your shoe and it changes the way your foot functions between heel strike and toe off. Mm. So it just it guides that process. Um, it's not something that's supporting the arch per se. It, it, it's more helping the foot function a little more efficiently. Um, some people will come to me and say, this person's got a flat foot, do they need orthotics? And I will always say, unless you have pain, yeah. the, your foot's flat now, you could wear an orthotic for 20 years, it's still going to be flat. (laughs) (laughs) So they're not corrective. What they are is accommodative and supportive and they address pain. That's my, that's how I work. Um, 
if somebody it's like wearing uh, like i said to you before it's like wearing prescription eyewear yeah if uh you put it on you can see great and everything's good wear them you know but when you take them off your eyesight's going to be the same as when you started yeah. same with feet mm. yeah this is not a social media question but i'm just <laughs> thinking based on the, off okay. of this question what do you see anything or like do you get conversation from other doctors or specialists to do the connection like fascially between the feet and anything like pelvic region or like higher above the waist like is With there the ever fascia? yeah so i did do an online workshop that was really interesting it was talking about plantar fasciitis and that's the first thing people ever hear about fascia is the the plantar fascia which is the big band of tissue on the sole of the foot that becomes inflamed this uh online uh program that i was studying talked about the fascia that runs from the sole of our foot is also one unit with the fascia that runs up into the calf muscles into the hamstrings and inserts at the base of our pelvis yeah so a lot of our pelvic tilt so you think about somebody that's sitting for long periods of time at a desk without good lumbar support or even just sitting with our hips in a flex position for a long period of time. When we uncurl and we get out of our chair and we try to walk around, that impacts everything from the waist down when it comes to has that fascia been yeah. tight all day. Yeah. So I would say a big yes to that. They're definitely yeah. connected. Yeah, I think I see it. Like, again, like my journey with Pilates and mm -hmm. how once my feet got stronger, everything, but especially around my pelvic region yep. shifted and how I felt like I could use um, that area. But also just thinking of, like, some of the elderly that you see walking around and kind of, like, their feet are not dead. I don't know how to use a scientific <laughs> term, but just like heavy lumps, but everything kind of falling inward, whereas I feel like yep. there's something not happening in the pelvis. Yeah. So it's Absolutely. nice to hear that scientifically there is that connection. You're only as strong as your base musings. too, yeah. right? So that, that happens everywhere in nature, in architecture. Yeah. You look at something, if the foundation's not good, everything else, everything else doesn't stack up properly. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's where... Not always, again, focusing on an orthotic, but a good supportive shoe or a shoe that works well for you. And what works well for you doesn't always work well for your friends and your family, yeah. right? So we have such individualized feet. They need an individualized approach for footwear. Yeah. The, the other question from social media, I think we've kind of touched on it. The question asks... In school, I feel like we were warned a lot about foot fungus. I don't know, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and the person says, is that a thing? But obviously, we've talked about it is a thing. Absolutely. And what it looks like, it was the cloudiness, right? So that's in the toenails, but we also can get um, soft tissue between the toes, um, all over the feet. Um, is that like athlete's foot? Is that yeah, oh, okay. exactly. Um, sometimes, when sometimes when the guys go away for regiment and they come back from Jamaica and they've had boots and socks on... And wet. Absolutely. They'll get a really aggressive form of, of fungal infection from marching and having their feet wet. And so we do see, we see the whole spectrum from a tiny little white speck on the toenail to really painful, really itchy, oh. quite debilitating fungal infections. Oh. And again, in a climate like Bermuda, if things are not kept dry, they go moldy. So between the toes is the perfect place for that to happen. Yeah. Hmm. This was fascinating. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad that you agreed to be on the podcast. Like, loved this so much. What, I should say, what, where should people go to find you? 
say someone looks down at their toe and sees something cloudy, some other maybe less disgusting <laughs> issue with their foot, how should they get in touch with in you? Chat. Where can they find your services? So my website, which is... I'll uh, have that in the show notes, of course. Thank you, in the show notes. So um, my website has some good information about myself, my colleague, our practice. Um, it has a... Uh, um, send us a message section so you can just type in a, a question or send us an email and I'll respond pretty quickly. There's also a refer a patient hot button on our website so any GPs, physios, other oh practitioners that want to refer, they just go straight to my website and hit that button. That said, you don't need a referral to come and see me or, uh, or my That's colleague. That's good to know because I think people would ask yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, we do get a lot of referrals directly from other practitioners, yeah. but a patient can just self-refer. Uh, that's not a problem. Um, we are covered by major health insurance. Um, we are also covered by future care. Uh, so patients that have that option will have a, a, a larger portion of oh. their consultation fee covered okay. by their insurer. And where are you physically located? You're practice so my practice arches which is uh, about 18 months old now we are located <laughs> right next to the tennis stadium so if you are traveling out of town heading to that set of traffic lights we're right there at the oh, set of traffic lights perfect yeah on cedar avenue so central got some parking we have parking nice yeah perfect and how's it going being not just the service provider but also running the show now I actually practice. love it. I didn't realize that that was kind of the uh, the th next thing I needed. You know, yeah. it's it's been an amazing experience. I love it. It's um, I'm excited to go to work every day. That's great. Yeah, I, I think I could tell from speaking to you that you yeah. love what you do. So I do. it's good to hear that confirmation of it. Well, unless you have anything else you want the public to think about connected to their feet, just look after them, look people. After them. And if you can't look after them, let me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm going to come book in for my general service. Great. Thanks so much, Natalie. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening in for another episode of Best Health. I enjoyed learning from Natalie Bennett about our feet and how to take care of them. I think you're likely to have as well. Thank you, Natalie. Go check her and her colleague, Stuart McIntosh, out at Arches Podiatry. Finally, much gratitude to our sponsor, without whom this episode would be possible, Lindos. Why go anyplace else? 